The Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aberdeen Emerging Markets Equity Podcast. I'm Nick Robinson from the EM Equity Team. In this podcast series, we explore the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets. From key individuals to evolving trends, we seek to answer the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why, that are shaping investment opportunities in the region. So back in 1992, the first ever mention of the term metaverse happened in Neil Stevenson's science fiction novel, Snow Crash. There he showed humans as avatars who are interacting with each other in a 3D virtual space, a metaphor for the real world. Last year, we saw a lot of hype over the idea of the metaverse. Mentions of metaverse or company earnings calls grew throughout the year and really reached a peak as Facebook signaled their ambitions in the metaverse by announcing their name change to Meta. Metaverse is attracting significant capital. Facebook disclosed they invested $10 billion into Metaverse development in 2021 alone. It's likely to be a lot more than that this year. Microsoft announced their intention to buy gaming company Activision for nearly $70 billion to bolster their Metaverse position. And all this growth is happening remarkably quickly. Bloomberg Intelligence estimates for the Metaverse could be an $800 billion market opportunity just by 2024. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss the metaverse, both in terms of what it is and how it may impact the investment landscape in emerging markets. So joining me today to tackle this subject is my colleague, Pruksa Iamfongfong. Pruksa is a senior investment director on the Asian equity team, and she's based in Singapore. Amongst her responsibilities, she covers the tech hardware companies and is also a frequent visitor to the metaverse. So she's uh, incredibly well qualified to talk on this subject. So Pruksa, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Hi, Nick. Glad to be back to talk about this exciting topic. Great. Thank you so much for joining. Um, perhaps it's a good place to start really on from first principles. And, and perhaps you could explain to us what the metaverse is in your view. Yeah, that's a really broad question because currently there is no uniform definition of metaverse and it probably means quite different things to different people. So to me, um, metaverse is an extension of the internet world. And if we call the internet web 2.0, metaverse is a 3.0 version of it where basically ones become a lot more connected, uh, we become more immersive and we have more ownership within this digital world. And this might mean that you will have your own unique identity. So if you think about your avatars in the digital world, you would have more ownership. And this could be things like the digital assets that you have, like owning a virtual land in the metaverse. You might have more voice on the governance structure of the digital world. And the last part would be the transferability to other digital worlds and into the real world. So I think these are some of the key building blocks that are essential within the overall metaverse. And I can say that, you know, today they are just all in a various stages of development today. So given that we are still very early in that defining moment for metaverse, your metaverse experience might be very different depending on what you do. So for example, if you are watching a concert in a game like Fortnite, you are already in some form of metaverse. 
if your kids are playing games of Roblox, I'm not sure your kids are playing that, uh, Nick, um, they will be in another form of metaverse. And if you're a Korean pop fan, um, you will be attending a virtual fan signing session with the popular girl group band. Um, you are in a metaverse. So really different definitions. Thanks for that. Yeah, I think I might have a, a couple of years before my kids get into Roblox, but I'm, I'm bracing myself. So I think I suppose the, one of the defining features of the metaverse is it's a 3D immersive type experience. And, and as you point out, there's quite a few different metaverses. But one distinction that seems to be emerging between them is the level of centralization that these metaverses have. You have the quite centralized ones, presumably like the meta or formerly known as Facebook metaverse is, is likely to be, whereas there are more decentralized ones which have more links to the blockchain, such as Decentraland and Sandbox is another one I've heard of. I mean, how, how do you think about the, the level of centralization and, and how do you think this is likely to impact development? Yes, so I think um, the distinction between the two is extremely important because by nature, they are fundamentally uh, different concepts. And decentralized uh, metaverse, if it is indeed successful, um, we have to be mindful that this is a, actually a very new concept, will threaten the powerful platform companies that we have today. And I think if you think about why is it that the growth of decentralized um, world is happening today, and this is really because it is now technologically possible today. Um, they are now enabled by blockchain. They are governed by DAO. DAO is a short form for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And what that helps you is that it makes governance accessible to everyone instead of decision-making made by a few people who is at the top of the centralized world. And this is happening in a time where we are perhaps frustrated by the world of centralized platform control today. Um, we all know that the world of Internet 2.0 is cut out into a few companies. And I think um, the frustrations and experience is, is building up. So while this is a pretty long-term development and a long-term threat to centralized platform business, I think the medium-term benefit to consumers are perhaps in the form of check and balances that the rise of decentralized platform provides, um, i.e. it deters platforms from profiting from consumers too much and pushes platforms to also offer greater value and, cons and convenience to consumers by innovating a lot more. Thanks. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And I, I suppose that puts some context into why we're seeing such an awful lot of capital being spent by these kind of web 2.0 platforms in terms of developing their metaverse. When we think about metaverses, I mean, how in reality or in a future reality, how, how should we think about it in terms of how our lives may change on a day-to-day -day basis? I think it will change quite a lot. And, and I think we are already experiencing it with, with you know, um, the increased familiarity with the virtual world today. So while we are pretty early days on this front, um, I think over the next 10 years, our lives could change quite significantly. And I think the pace of change will actually happen much faster in younger generations, um, you know, like your kids, Nick, because they are also going to be a lot more digital native than we are. And I think broadly, metaverse will change the way that very basic things that we do, the way it changed the way that we work, will change the way that we play, it will change the way that we socialize. And this means that increasingly more time is likely to be spent in the digital world, just like how we are all spending a lot more time on our mobile and on the internet today versus 10 to 20 years ago.
Yeah, I suspect if you added up all the time that we now spend in virtual meetings or staring at a screen for work, we're probably spending the most of our or the majority of our day now, Monday to Friday. Yes, that's right. And, you know, um, like what you say, we are already having an accelerated virtual working environment um, over Microsoft's Teams because of COVID um, and also over Zoom as well. So this is very much all thanks to work from home environment and increasingly going forward to a hybrid working environment. So we don't think that this is going to go away. What this may change in the future is that this whole hybrid environment would extend further into a virtual meeting room space with your own avatars. Um, this is not unimaginable. So Nick, I think very soon, um, you and I will be having our global emerging markets meetings with our avatars in a virtual meeting space created by Facebook or by Microsoft or any other platform. So <laughs> looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, that sounds fun. I guess if it was uh, one of the big web 2.0 companies, we'd have to be a bit nervous about them taking our data and then front running the portfolios with it. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I think that's, um, that's the other part where pe that people would have to have a lot more scrutiny. Um, and, and again, the regulations would need to catch up as well. And just moving on from work to play, um, I think we are also seeing early form of this in some form of virtual shopping malls. Um, just to share an experience that I visited one of the uh, Korean metaverse platform um, and in there there's a virtual shopping mall um, and you can browse at some of the virtual products there as well. Uh, within that, you can also choose to visit uh, Sotheby's Virtual Art Gallery. This was um, a visit that I made to Decentraland, so there's one there. Um, you can also choose to attend uh, virtual concerts. So I think the point here is that increasingly, there should be a lot more content and activities within each platform, and that will drive more traffic and time spent into this such digital world. And moving from play um, to the last part, which is socialize, um, this is pretty interesting. I think um, what we are seeing today is that people don't just go to the games platform to play games. Um, they go there to hang out and to socialize as well. So I'm not sure whether you heard of a virtual pub or a virtual bar. Um, you can actually do just that in the virtual world. Dress your best and you never have to physically leave the house as well. Yes, I mean, that sounds like how chat rooms were a very early feature of the internet as well. In terms of thinking about companies, and I, you, know, you have many, many meetings with many companies around the world, what's your impression of how companies are approaching the metaverse? And is it a risk or opportunity for them? And are there types of companies that may be disrupted by this? I think there will be both risks and opportunities, and this really depends on um, how all these companies view metaverse and how they are exploring this um, from their strategy point of view. But I think it's fair to say, even though that's pretty early days um, from our conversations and from what we are seeing, companies are embracing metaverse pretty quickly and are making investments to be part of it because they see this both as risks and opportunities. Um, just like well, when you started, Nick, uh, you see the likes of Facebook making huge investment um, as part of the metaverse. And I think generally you can categorize companies into three main types. Um, the first would be the likes of the creator companies. These could be existing companies that already have one foot in the digital world. And they are either trying to strengthen this foothold or they are trying to remain relevant. So this would include the likes of gaming companies, social platform companies, or Korean entertainment companies. 
and they're all investing in their own form of metaverse to make sure that the user base sticks with them, um, at least as the digital world evolves into the metaverse. The second type of companies would be the brand companies. Um, and this could be companies that are extending their brand relevance from the physical world into the digital world today, um, not just to create a digital version of their product, but also more importantly, to forge that connection with the younger and digitally savvy consumers. So this could mean things like brands buying a virtual advertising space in one of the virtual buildings, or they may be selling a virtual version of a pair of shoes that you buy along in the physical store so that you can dress up your avatar the same way. And I think um, today the brand positioning is really about um, how to stay relevant and to maintain that engagement of the consumers. The third type of companies would be the content companies. Um, this is pretty straightforward. This is about IP, intellectual property, and content extension. So the key here is how do you extend the movie content IP into music, into concerts, and into any other digital form to leverage on the content strength and create a more immersive experience with consumers within the digital world. So these are the three types of companies. And if we were to move on to disruption, then it could be, uh, just to give you an example, but it basically could be companies that fail to recognize the following. Um, the first is that they would fail to recognize the important rise of metaverse and therefore, as a result, fail to make early investment into them. Um, this would be companies that fail to create a substantial enough digital presence because they were complacent that their existing status quo or physical assets would be strong enough. And an example could be advertising companies or companies that make money for advertising today because of their large traffic. But they may not have the same traffic as the world move on into the metaverse. And therefore, as a result, they lose their traffic advantage and subsequently add dollars in the long run. Um, on the other hand, it could be also the brand companies that we talked about just now where you know, the brand equity is just not as strong in the digital world versus the physical world. And this, they might make them lose the connection with consumers, especially when they get younger. Or it could be things like owners of physical assets, such as shopping malls, um, that they actually don't have a virtual presence. Um, people will just have less time to physically visit a mall because they spend more time in the digital world. And, and the list goes on, Nick. Yeah, thanks. It, it's, it caught my eye the other day on, I think it was on a Bloomberg headline, that a Gucci handbag... Uh, or a virtual Gucci handbag, at least in, in Roblox, now costs more than the real thing. So I thought that was quite interesting. What about on the um, the hardware and, and software side? Which which companies are supplying the pipes and shovels that actually enable the metaverse and, and how are they likely to benefit? Yeah, this is a very important um, question as the world of metaverse needs to be enabled. Um, and I think this is where Asia as the tech supply chain of the world comes in and really stands to benefit. So you can think of the technology enablers such as semiconductor chips and the companies that make them. This would be companies like TSMC in Taiwan. Um, you can think of storage and processing needs in data centers. Um, as the world of metaverse has more data. So memory companies like Samsung or data center companies um, would have to have that seamless, immersive and low latency experience. Um, and this would have to be backed by a very powerful 5G network just to make it um, a lot more smooth in terms of experience over the long run. 
And in order to get to a much better digital world experience and communication, um, it's important that all these building blocks would have to be better. I think today they are getting there, but perhaps it's not enough. And that's why when you go into the virtual world, the experience is just still not as good. And this will still require a lot more investments. So I think um, if you look in the tech hardware semi-space, this is really an extension of the 5G structural growth cycle that we are in and perhaps help to answer some of the questions behind, you know, the question that we get asked a lot about uh, what's next after 5G um, for, for the semiconductor companies. Thanks. And just drawing on a point you mentioned earlier about the Sotheby's Art Gallery, it kind of leads me to the question of art and other assets in the form of non-fungible tokens as a feature of a metaverse. And perhaps you could explain a little bit how blockchain technology could be important in the metaverse. Yeah, if you recall what I shared earlier about the essential features of a metaverse, um, one of them would be the ownership and ownership of digital assets. Um, without going into too much technical details, uh, essentially what NFT does is to enable the ownership of digital assets that is uniquely yours and NFT has made it possible and that is backed by blockchain technology. This is important because with this, we are now able to have a proof of authenticity. You are able to collect assets like a digital art and you are also able to transfer your assets into other virtual worlds and with the real world. So you can think about, for example, um, after you buy a virtual land, you can look to sell it um, and get real money because virtual land is in fact an NFT. Um, in terms of the benefit to hardware companies, I think they it's not that direct, but they ultimately strengthen the ecosystem and experience of the virtual world, which then ultimately, this means that you need higher computing power and benefit the tech enablers. Yes, I mean, as much as it's easy, I think, to dismiss the NFT market as a bubble, you can understand that it's some of the same human instincts that make people want to own a $10,000 digital artwork to show off as by kind of expensive watches or handbags in the real world. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is, is play-to-earn gaming. You know, we've seen that really boom in popularity in some emerging market countries during the pandemic. You know, will the metaverse become an increasing source of job opportunities in the future? And could that benefit kind of low-cost labour emerging market countries in particular? Yeah, Nick, this is a pretty interesting point, actually. Um, and it is already happening, as you mentioned. So during the pandemic, for example, um, we are actually seeing this trend um, popping up as a job in the likes of Philippines um, over here in Asia. So actually what I did uh, during my holiday in December um, is that I went to, to give this a try. Um, one of the games that's really popular on this front is called Axie Infinity, um, just to understand how it works. And, and I'm happy to share my key observations today as well um, from my experience. So firstly, I actually think it's quite expensive to start playing Axie. Um, you actually have to have three Axies, which are like um, three animals to form a team to play. And they're actually quite expensive if you want um, decent ones. So your starting point will cost you back like about um, 500 to 1,000 uh, US dollars. Um, that's way to get sponsorship. Um, it's called scholarship in the XE world. Um, and I was trying to look for someone to sponsor myself in the XE forum, but um, it was too competitive. <laughs> so I ended up putting the bill myself. 
secondly, the second point I'll share is that um, it is actually pretty time consuming and, and quite hard to play to earn um, to make that incremental dollar um, that, that's worth your time. So in XC again, um, you use your team to battle against others. And if you win, you actually get an in-game currency called Smooth Love Potion. And there are two ways to earn money here. Um, firstly, by selling Smooth Love Potion on the crypto exchange. And Smooth Love Potion itself is, is a crypto. And the second way is to um, you buy this Smooth Love Potion to actually uh, breed more axes to sell on the marketplace. But um, either way, I can share with you that I thought the experience was rather challenging. Um, it was a, quite a difficult process again um, to, make, to make a lot of money. And lastly, I think um, we have to remember that you have to take crypto price risk as well. So given your income is tied to the price of the cryptocurrency, I am not too sure about the sustainability of income here over the long term. So you probably make good money when the price is high. But, you know, as we know, crypto uh, world um, is so volatile. So as crypto prices fall, which is in the situation that we are in today, uh, you might actually not be um, not making that much money and it's not as attractive as an income generator. So I think um, going through this experience, uh, that said, I think play to earn will develop because we are still in the early stage of that. And as become more mature, we could see this as you know um, emerging labor opportunities. But I think really the devil is in the details as to uh, the mechanics of each play to earn games. Thanks. That's a that's really interesting. Yeah, that does sound quite complicated, but probably shouldn't dismiss it. It sounds like one of those jobs that don't exist yet, really, that my kids might end up having one day. So that feels like a good place to draw this podcast to a close. It's been great to get those insights from Pruxa. So thank you very much, Pruxa. It's hugely appreciated. Thanks, Nick. And thank you, everyone, who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for our next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit Aberdeen.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.